You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church, and happy Resurrection Sunday. If you are new with us this morning, my name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here, and thank you for being our honored guest. We're so honored that you would decide to spend part of your weekend with us, uh, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at you guys. You look incredible. Oh, my goodness. Wow, your Sunday best, Easter best. You can clap for yourself. That's okay, right? Some of you are wondering, like, can we do that in church? Just for a moment anyways, just for a second. Okay, that's enough. That's it. Stop. (laughs) Listen, you guys look amazing. Um, I'm biased, but we have a beautiful church. (laughs) Listen, we're so glad that you are here. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But let me back up for just a moment. Who is Jesus? Let's just take a few moments to answer that question before we move forward, because I don't want to assume that all of us are on the same page when it comes to Jesus, that we all know who he is. So let me just take a few moments to describe him. Jesus, listen, was the sinless son of God born in a small town called Nazareth. He was born from a virgin named Mary, and his father was God himself, like the God, like the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's what Jesus said, that his father was God. Now, during his lifetime, he made some pretty lofty claims. Number one, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And number two, Jesus also claimed to be the long-awaited Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and the rightful king of the people of the nation of Israel. And so for the last three years of Jesus' life, he had an itinerant ministry, meaning he traveled uh, throughout uh, the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel, talking about the good news, healing people, casting out demons, right, and telling people about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the only problem with this is that his own people didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't receive him as their king. You see, the Jewish religious rulers, they wanted Jesus dead. And the reason for this was Jesus claimed to be God, which for them that was blasphemous. Now, the Roman government, they also wanted Jesus out because they were afraid of an insurrection Because Jesus claimed to be a king. So on that Friday morning, what we call Good Friday, we celebrate as Good Friday, early that morning, Jesus was arrested. He was tried before Pontius Pilate. He was sentenced and he was crucified on a Roman cross. And the Romans had really perfected the art of torture and execution. And so Jesus dies. All hope seems lost for his first disciples, those first uh, men and women who decided to follow him and believe in his words. It just seemed like Jesus was perhaps another martyr. Maybe Jesus was just another religious zealot and, you know, he died for, uh, for a movement or for a good cause. 
But three days later, listen, everything changed. Everything changed. Jesus rose to life, proving to be everything that he claimed to be. The sinless son of God, God himself in the flesh. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take you to a passage in the New Testament. It's Matthew. It's a guy named Matthew, and it's his account of the resurrection. Now, let me just say this briefly about Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers, one of his disciples, but formerly or previously, Matthew was also a, a tax collector. He was in cahoots with the Roman government, and he was employed by Herod Antipas. So he was hated by many of the Jewish people. But Matthew, listen, had his life radically changed when Jesus called him to follow him and be one of his disciples. Here's what Matthew has to say about the resurrection of Jesus. This is found in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to read 10 verses. I'll have the verses behind me. I would love for you guys to, to follow along with me. Verse number 1 says this. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he had risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. I think that's remarkable. They were afraid, I think as all of us would be, right, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Let's spend a few moments. I want to pray for us before we get into the rest of our message this morning. And we do this every week before we get into the Word of God. We, before we get into the message, we take a moment to pray. So let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this, this amazing day, God. We thank you for the lives that you're going to change today. God, we thank you for the work that you're already doing in so many of our hearts already. God, you rose from the grave through your son, Jesus Christ, and it changes everything. God, you're not just another dead prophet. God, you're not just someone who stood up for injustice. God, you're not just another martyr. Jesus rose from the grave, and that means all of his promises are true. And so, Lord... I pray this morning that you would open blind eyes. God, I pray that you would soften hardened hearts 
Because I know some of my friends in here have come in with a hardened heart because life is difficult. And some of us, we were born skeptical, God. So, Lord, would you soften hardened hearts? Would you unlock deaf ears? And, God, by your spirit, would you draw us near to you? Open our eyes to see the beauty and the glory and the treasure of who is Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Lord, do it, we ask and we pray. Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst and do what only you can do. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, this morning, I want to just begin with a short story. It's a fictional story, but a short story. It takes place in the middle of a vast forest, and there are two armies that are about to go into battle. Now, one of the army. One of the armies was greatly outnumbered in soldiers by the other army. Now, the general of the small army, he decides that he wants to launch an attack on the larger army because he was confident that they could go in and they could win the battle. So the general calls the lieutenant and tells the soldiers that there's going to be a battle. And so they begin to get ready. Now, the soldiers were ready for battle, but naturally, they had all kinds of fears and doubts and worries because, remember, listen, they were greatly outnumbered, right, in far, as far as soldiers go. And so the day of battle comes near, and the general found out about their doubts and their fears of the soldiers. And so as they're headed to the battle... The general told all of his soldiers, I want you to stop right now. We're going to pray. So they take a few moments and they pray. And after the prayer, the general stood in front of all of his soldiers and he begins to tell them. He says this, with a coin in his hand, he says, I will now toss this coin. And if it lands on heads, we will win the battle. If it lands on tails, we will lose the battle. So the general goes ahead, goes ahead and he tosses the coin in the air, and as you may have guessed, it was heads. The soldiers cheered loudly, and they're excited, and they're filled with hope and confidence because they know that they're now going to win the battle. In fact, they go into battle, and they execute the plan Perfectly, they launched a fearsome attack on this larger, much larger army. In fact, the enemy soldiers were taken aback by this kind of attack from the small army. Finally, after many hours, the small army wins the battle. After the battle, the lieutenant goes to the general and says this, Well, as destiny has showed us, we have won the battle. The general smiles at the lieutenant, showing him the coin in his hand, which, by the way, has heads on both sides. What's the moral of the story? Well, here's the moral. The hope is like light at the end of a dark tunnel. If you have hope, you can walk through any dark tunnel. But if you don't have any hope, listen, it's almost guaranteed that you will give up. But with hope, 
we can endure life's most difficult battles. In fact, with hope, we can weather any storm that comes our way. You see, the world is in need of hope. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think it's obvious that our world has experienced this great trauma over the last two years, right? A, a global pandemic, right? Tragic deaths. I mean, there's racial tensions everywhere. I mean, political divide like we've never seen. There are economic inconsistencies. There's soaring inflation, right? And on top of that, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a little bit of a war happening right now in Ukraine. The world needs hope. In fact, I think that's pretty much an understatement. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about hope. In fact, I want to be specific. I want to talk to you about the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? In fact, there are three different hopes that I want to spend just a few moments talking about this morning. The first hope I want to talk to you about is this certain hope that because of Jesus rising from the grave, we have certain hope. The second hope that we have is a future hope, that as we look towards the future, we have a future hope because of Jesus rising from the grave. And then finally, I want to talk about this morning a present hope, that we have a hope that comes right into our lives, right where we're at, in the here and now, because of Jesus. We call this a present hope. So let's go ahead and get things started this morning. Let's first start off, start off by talking about the resurrection of Jesus is our certain hope. The resurrection of Jesus is our certain hope. We can trust that the resurrection of Jesus brings us certain hope because we know that the resurrection of Jesus certainly happened. And so here's what we need to do this morning. We need to settle the matter. We need to settle the issue in our hearts. And the question is this, did Jesus actually rise from the grave, right? That's perhaps what many of you are asking this question. Did he actually rise from the grave? Let's go a bit further. Is this really significantly, truly a historical fact? Like this guy, like he... He came alive, like from what I know about dead people, most of the time they stay dead, right? Did Jesus really rise from the grave? And this morning what I want to do is I want to just quickly offer you three reasons why we can trust the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, okay? Number one, Matthew. When Matthew writes about this resurrection, Matthew writes in a way to say that he's not making this stuff up, okay? This is not some story that he's fabricated. In fact, Matthew says this, that when he goes that the empty tomb was actually discovered by women. Women. Why does that matter? That's a good question that you might ask, okay? Here's what we need to know. In those days, women's testimonies were not seen as credible. In fact, they were not even admissible in a court of law. If Matthew was trying to make up the story, right, if he was trying to say that the story is true, why would he use women as the people who first discover the empty tomb? Why wouldn't he just say that men discovered it? Well, Matthew notes that the women were the first eyewitnesses that, they, that the tomb was empty because 
That's what happened, right? That was true. That indeed took place. This is what sometimes scholars call this the criterion of embarrassment. The criterion of embarrassment. It's the idea of this, that people don't intentionally invent stories to embarrass themselves or to disparage their message. You see, the disciples, it shows us that they were more concerned with truth than they were with perception. Second, we know that all of the disciples, including Matthew himself, died in horrific or brutal ways, okay? Now, I want you to ask yourself something this morning, okay? Would the disciples die in these brutal ways for something that they knew was a lie? Would they do that, right? Would they do that? Now, here's the thing that we should know. You might die for a lie if you feel like you have something to gain from it, right? So you might build your life on a lie if perhaps um, maybe you gain great wealth, or maybe um, you have great power, right, or, or great prestige, then maybe you might build your life on a lie. But what about these disciples? What did they have to gain from following Jesus? Let's examine that for a moment. Well, <laughs> they were poor. They were tortured. They were tormented. And eventually they were executed for what? For this supposed lie. So you have to ask yourself the question, would those first disciples, listen, would they have undergone all of that for something that they knew to be a lie? I just ask that you would consider that this morning with me. Finally, one last proof I think that leads to the evidence that shows that Jesus really was resurrected from the grave is that the New Testament tells us that over 500 people witnessed Jesus, and check this out, at the same time. And Paul writes about this uh, when these people were still alive and they were still accessible. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 7. He says this, and that he, which is Jesus, Jesus appeared to them, to the 12, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than, check this out, 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, all right? So check this out. This is not a hoax, right? Some might say, oh, right, well, maybe just 500 people had a hallucination at the same time. Really? Really? 500 people tripping on shrooms at the same time. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I, just call me crazy, but I don't think that's the case, right? Paul says this, listen, that most of these witnesses were still alive and they're readily accessible. Why is that important? Because, listen, these claims in the ancient world would have been impossible if those witnesses never existed. The fact that the religious rulers, they claim that the apostles stole the body, it just testifies to the fact that the tomb was empty indeed. 
These are just but a few of the reasons why I believe with all my heart that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, these are just three, but there's like 20-something, and you owe it to yourself. Listen, if you're a skeptic, you owe it to yourself, right, to do the research yourself. You can't just come in here and say, I don't believe that, but then do no research. That's illogical. You owe it to yourself to do the research. Jesus' resurrection brings us certain hope. Second thing is this. The resurrection of Christ offers us a future hope. The resurrection of Christ offers us a future hope. Here's what I mean. It's the future hope in the sense that, listen, that Jesus will come back someday to this earth and he will make all things new. That this is not the end of the story. I know we turn on the news and we see wars and famine and hate and violence and murder and disease and plague and everything ugly that you can imagine. But that's not the end of the story. Listen, Jesus is on his way back to the earth. Listen, and the scripture tells us he will wipe every tear from our eyes and no longer will there be death. No longer will there be sickness. No longer will there be sorrow. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away. We can believe this because Jesus, if Jesus rose from the grave, that means every promise that he made is true. And when he talked about coming back for us and making all things new, that's true. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, listen, he has a glimpse of this, and here's what he says. Isaiah 65, verse 17, he says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Even the prophet Isaiah sees a glimpse of our future for those who believe and trust in Jesus. Listen, you guys. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a hope that's beyond the grave. It's a hope that's beyond the grave. It's a future. Perhaps some of you have come in here this morning, and as you look at the future, you're like thinking, I have nothing to look forward to. My life is miserable. If you only knew my circumstances, I'm here to tell you that there's good news found in Jesus Christ. That If you begin to follow him, listen, you have a future hope. No matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter how dysfunctional your family is, no matter the habits and the addictions that you bring in, listen, you have a future hope found in Jesus Christ. But you got to agree to it. you got to say yes to it. I can't do that part for you. I wish I could. Oh, trust me, I wish I could. I lose sleep over that. You have to make the decision yourself. Finally, listen, the resurrection of Christ means that we have, what, a present hope. It means that we have a present hope. The New Testament, or the new life that awaits us in eternity, actually begins right now, right? Right now. You see, a lot of people think that we're just sort of, sort of waiting around for heaven. That's not, that's not really an accurate picture of what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith in Christianity. We're not just waiting around for heaven. Christianity is actually the life of heaven that's come to live on the inside of us right now. Right now, right? The New Testament says that we're given the Holy Spirit. 
to live on the inside of us right now. The Holy Spirit is what Paul says is the down payment or the deposit on the future triumph over death, right? The Greek word sometimes rendered down payment here was used in ancient business documents to mean first installments, right? First installments. Have you ever bought like a large ticket item, like, you know, that brand new vehicle or used vehicle, or um, maybe it was like a brand new furniture set, the love seat and the sofa, you know, and the end tables, and it was going to cost you three grand, four grand, or what, what, with, with inflation, like nine grand now, whatever, right? <laughs> and you were going to what happens normally in that situation? Well, usually they say, hey, we'd like you to what? To put a deposit down or maybe a down payment. And what does that ensure you? That ensures you that the product is yours. It's yours. They can't sell it to anyone else. And in the same way, the scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as a down payment for the future work, the future kingdom of God coming in its fullness here on the earth. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says this. He says that the good work that Christ began in you, he will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Come on. He wants to begin a new work and a good work in some of you. And he'll see it through completion until the day we see Jesus, right, come on the clouds, the heavens crack open, and we see him, right? The Holy Spirit, listen, is the power that we need to live for God, right? Some of you, may, maybe you thought like, oh, you know, like, I, yeah, Christianity is about like using your willpower, um, you know, to behave well. Can I just tell you your willpower ends five minutes after you wake up? Like your willpower is done, okay? You need, right, you need a greater power that lives within you. And here's what the scripture says. Paul says this. He says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Come on, someone. You need power to live the gospel life. You need power to choose righteousness over sin. You can't do it in your own willpower. Who are you kidding, right? It's impossible. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. The second way that we see this as a present hope in our lives right now is that we become a new creation, a new creation. Can I just tell you that becoming a new creation is so much better than a second chance at life or a third chance at life, right? So much better, right? Being a Christian doesn't just mean that you believe a few things, like, hey, I believe God lived and Jesus is real. I'm good to go, right? No, it doesn't mean that at all, actually, right? It's so much more. It's so much more. The scripture says that you become a new creation. In fact, the scripture in the gospel of John calls our conversion being born again. I got a lot of parents here this morning, and I'm pretty positive, even if your kids are grown up, you can remember the day that your son or daughter was born, right? It was dramatic. Hello, right? That's dramatic, right? There's like blood and sweat, screaming and like, what, right? Come on, let's be real. The scripture says that when we're converted to, be, to become followers of Jesus, it's like being born again. We're born of the Spirit. 
It's a radical transformation. I love what the author and writer and scholar Tim Keller says about the hope of the resurrection in the here and now. He says this, if you grasp this great fact of history, I love Tim Keller. He says it's a fact, this great fact of history. Then even if you find uh, things going dark, this hope becomes a light for you when all other lights go out. Man, that's so good. That's so good. In other words, listen, when life becomes challenging, and listen, if you've been alive more than five minutes, it will become challenging. If you're not in a battle, you will be in a battle really soon, right? Life becomes challenging. That means when everything goes dark, right? When everything looks, uh, looks terrible out. Listen, we have a hope from heaven that allows us to weather every storm that comes our way. You see, the resurrection this morning, the resurrection is the most important event in human history, right? Because Jesus was crucified for our sins and rose from the grave, everything changes, right? Everything changes. If he didn't raise from the grave, then this is just a nice story of someone who stood up to injustice, okay? But, listen, if Jesus did rise from the grave... It means Jesus is who he said he is, and all of his promises, listen, are true. They're all true. You see, the resurrection is our great hope. It brings us certain hope. All the evidence points to this actually happening. The resurrection brings us a future hope. As we look forward to what God will do in Christ, Jesus will make all things anew. Death no longer has the final word. And finally, the resurrection gives us what? Present hope. It's a hope that shows up in the here and now. It's a hope that allows us to weather any storm that comes our way. But listen, I'm not quite done yet. Here's the question. Here's the question. Are you going to dismiss the resurrection? Or are you going to be led to worship as the first disciples were? Those are the only choices you have, right? Are you going to dismiss it? Or are you going to be led to worship? Listen, so many people in their minds and in their hearts, they dismiss the resurrection. So many people do this. Even people who come to church every week. Listen, they know there's something special about Jesus, but the implications of calling him Lord, listen, that's just something that they won't concede to. So they won't acknowledge, listen, that those implications and they find reasons to disbelieve the Bible. Don't be one of those persons this morning, right? And as we close this service, I want to I pray with you as we worship one last song. I want to pray with you as you consider, are you going to dismiss the resurrection or receive new life in Jesus Christ? And I know for some of you this morning, I get it, okay? I totally get it. This is just a formality before the Easter ham. But my prayer this morning for you is that this is so much more than a formality. My prayer for you is that this is a day that will change your life forever. Yes, come on, someone. That today, listen. Today will be so much more than religion. Today will be so much more than I went to church. But today will be the day that you can say, I met Jesus face to face. Right? I saw Jesus, right? As John Wesley says, that your 
heart will be strangely warmed, that you'll feel compelled to lift up your hands, to lift up your voice and say, Jesus is King. I receive him right here and right now. Listen, let me just remind you that Christianity isn't about being a good person because you will fail. In fact, the scripture says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, you can be nice to people. Yes, you can be a philanthropist. Yes, you can donate to charities. But that doesn't mean you're good. Apart from Jesus, you have no good in you. All have fallen short. All have sinned, right, and fallen short of the glory of God. You need a righteousness that comes not from your good behavior because you'll fail. Trust me, I've failed a million times, and you have failed as well. You need a righteousness that comes from the sinless Son of God who lived a life that you couldn't live, but then he died the death that you deserved. He was punished in your place. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and he's coming back to make all things new. That's the hope you need. You need to stop trusting yourself and trust in Jesus. Come on, church. And so this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray with you right now. We're going to worship with one last song, but let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for this amazing day, God. God, we thank you that this is a day that's going to change someone's family line forever. God, kids will be changed, God. Generations will be changed because someone in here is going to say yes to Jesus. Lord, right now we pray, God. Would you hear our hearts? God, forgive us of our sin. God, we've fallen short. We're sinners, God, on our way to hell. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer. And God, we call upon the name of Jesus right now. Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Reconcile us to the Father. Make us brand new. God, we, we receive your love. We receive your grace, God. And right now, we choose to follow you. We turn away from our wicked lives. We turn away from our pride, and we choose to follow you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.